our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father. We thank you once again that we can gather together as your people. And Father, as we gather in this place, we are conscious that there is one body of Christ scattered all over the world. And right now, we want to pray for our family in Pakistan. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, uh, who are being pressured, uh, who are being hurt, whose property is being destroyed. Father, in this time, would you be their joy and their strength? Father, would they keep trusting you and enduring? Uh, and Father, we pray for an end uh, to the intensity of this persecution. Um, but Father, we also pray amid the intensity of persecution that you'd help our brothers and sisters to keep trusting Jesus, to keep following Jesus, to remain loyal to Jesus, no matter the cost. May we remember them in our prayers and may we be inspired to keep trusting Jesus here and now where we are because of their courageous faith. And God, you declare your almighty power most chiefly in showing mercy and pity. Give to us abundantly your grace that we, running to your promises, may be partakers of your heavenly treasure through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Lord, may your spirit now illuminate this word that we've heard, giving us eyes to see it and ears to understand it. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently because Jesus lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. Question, do you have a favourite sermon? A sermon that perhaps you heard at a particular time that hit in a particular way. I have maybe three or four sermons that are like that. One of them uh, was a sermon on Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, it was well over 10 years ago and it was preached by Richard Koken. Uh, he's the senior minister of a great Bible teaching Anglican church in London. And I really needed to hear that sermon on that day. I was a couple of years out of theological college working in full-time ministry uh, in Sydney uh, and I at that time and in that moment needed to be reminded of why I was doing what I was doing to be given from Isaiah chapter 6 a big bold gospel vision. Uh, Richard's preaching from Isaiah 6 helped me then and continues to help me now as I'm reminded of this passage. I can't read this passage without actually remembering that sermon. I looked up some notes that I actually took uh, on that day. Although they were brief, I've more or less taken Richard's headings because they're brilliant as he walks through the passage, have helped me to remember the passage, and I hope and trust that with that footnote to prevent from plagiarism, uh, I hope and trust there'll be an encouragement to you too. You see, today is a good day for me to hear the message of Isaiah 6, but I also think today is a significant moment for this fledgling church, this new church to hear too. Um, we've been meeting together in some capacity for about a year, uh, and since kind of coming out from underground with a commissioning service uh, back in February, we've been engaging more people, there's more people been visiting to find out what we're on about, and as we've already said today, we are less than a month from our formal launch uh, in September. Now, I know that for some people who are part of this church, that you have arrived at this new venture after a difficult season. 
Some of you have perhaps even been a bit wary about church for some time, maybe even out of church for a while and are back and are testing the waters and are kind of ready to dive in and again. And yet, as you dive in, there's some nervousness as we move forward. And maybe there's even some nervousness as we talk about a launch. There's some nervousness of, you know what, it's actually pretty comfortable at the moment. Um, I, I'm, I'm doing a decent job at remembering the names of everyone who walks in. Uh, but as we launch and God willing, as we grow and the dynamic shifts and changes and we may not know everyone's name in time to come, perhaps there's a, a nervousness as we move forward with this next step. You know, we've said it a couple of times already that our, our dream is to be a city of refuge within the city of Brisbane where many people have found refuge, security and hope in Christ. Now, it might be that even as you hear that vision articulated every single week, as we remind ourselves of kind of that big thing of what we hope God is doing in our midst, one of the reasons why you're attracted to refuge, security and hope in Christ is that perhaps some of those things have been lacking previously in some relationships, maybe even in previous church experiences. So I think, Isaiah chapter 6 is a timely word. I trust, as I dive into it again, it will help me to realign my why. And I hope that it will help us to realign our why. Why do we exist as a church? And why this gospel work is so desperately needed in the city of Brisbane. And so the question we're going to consider as we open up Isaiah chapter 6 is this. What will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch? You got the question? What will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch? You and I, we, 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 we all need to hear Isaiah 6. When we feel discouraged, when we feel inadequate, and perhaps even when we're ready to give up. So there's four things I want you to see that I trust will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch. The first one is this. We need to see a fresh sense of God's holiness. Number one, a fresh sense of God's holiness. If you've got a Bible, keep it out and keep it open. Uh, we obviously haven't been working through the book of Isaiah, but if we had been and if we had been reading through the book of Isaiah, in the first five chapters of Isaiah, we have been given the context of ongoing sin and rebellion among God's people. And also of the just judgment that God will bring in their day through Babylonian conquest. And ultimately on the day of the Lord, the day of judgment. However, already in those opening chapters, even in the midst of judgment, we see the Lord at work to bring salvation. Uh, one commentator, a former lecturer of mine, Barry Webb, he said this about this chapter. He said, chapter six towers like a majestic peak over the surrounding terrain and is clearly of central importance for the message of the book. If you haven't read Isaiah much before, this is a really great place to start, a really great place to kind of get a picture of really what's going on here. And so in chapter 6 of Isaiah, Isaiah will be shown his mission, 
And before he sees his mission, he's given this fresh sense of God's holiness through a glorious vision. Pick it up with me in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know, King Uzziah may be dead, but the king is certainly not dead. Isaiah is given a glorious vision of the Lord. And what does it say? It says that he is high and lifted up above all earthly rule, above all earthly kingdoms, the transcendent Lord of the universe. You know, one of the problems among God's people is that they haven't had a high enough view of God. It's true in Isaiah's time. And I think that's actually true in our time too. It's easy to have a domesticated, tame view of God. You know, we, we kind of imagine God on our level, thinking our thoughts operating like we operate. And yet here, chapter 6, verse 1, is the Lord seated on his throne, full of glory. And it continues, verse 2, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. You see, in this vision, Isaiah is given a glimpse into another reality. He sees supernatural heavenly beams. Beings. These seraphim don't sound like cute little angels. They sound ferocious and powerful. And yet, even they know that they are nothing compared to the incomparable Lord. They live and breathe to praise the Lord. Look at what they say to one another in verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know, the repetition of holy, holy, holy is to underline just how holy he is. You know, God's holiness is all about his brightness, his separateness. He is distinct. He is morally majestic. He is holy and transcendent, and yet he is imminent. As the whole earth is full of his glory, he's not far away from each of us. You see, the seraphim respond to this holy God in the only right way, in worship, with reverence and awe. And that's only ever the right response to a holy God. When we see uh, when we have a fresh sense of God's holiness, it ought to lead to worship, to falling before him with reverence, with awe. You know, to fear him. Fear him in the wisdom literature in the Old Testament is, is the beginning of wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. Acknowledging that he is God and we are not. God in his holiness is not only clean and pure and untouched by evil, but he is beautiful. You know, when we see the beauty of created things, they are only ever a shadow of the beauty of the one who made them. When we see the Lord in his holiness and seeing him clearly in his holiness is also a call to see him in his glory, in his majesty and in his beauty. 
the question we began with, what will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch? A fresh sense of God's holiness. I hope and trust that part of our mission here in Brisbane is to make much of our holy God, to show that he is beautiful. But here's the thing with point one. Here's the thing with Isaiah 6. The longer we gaze upon the holiness of God, the more we'll start to feel uncomfortable, right? Isaiah starts to feel uncomfortable. The second thing I want you to see is a fresh sense of God's judgment. Number two, a fresh sense of God's judgment. Look at the way that God's holiness even impacts the building. Verse four, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Now, this is the normal reaction of the created world when the presence of God is made known. But it's not only the building that is shaken. Have a look at Isaiah's response, verse 5. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is greatly distressed. He knows that he is in the presence of a holy God and that he is therefore an unholy man. Isaiah is a prophet with a role to proclaim a message with his mouth, but he knows that his lips are unclean. He's seen the King, the Lord of hosts, and you can't unsee that. He can no longer look at himself in the same way. There's recently, uh, in the last few years, been a bunch of art restoration attempts in Spain. One example of such is up on the screen now. Uh, the left, uh, as you can see there, is the original. The right is the restoration. The one on the right looks terrible, <laughs> but all the more once you've seen the original. For Isaiah, he has seen God and he knows how far short he has fallen in bearing the image of his creator. And he knows he has got nowhere to hide. He knows his own unholiness. He knows that he is not worthy to see God and to live. And so before Isaiah is sent out on a mission to proclaim a message of judgment to the people of Judah, he shows us that he also understands that he is deserving of judgment too. What will motivate us as a, as a church as we get ready to launch a fresh sense of God's judgment? And that we too deserve the judgment of a holy God. I, uh, I recently had a conversation with a church leader um, and I, sp I spoke about something of the distinctives of kind of how I want to approach the Bible and how I want to approach leading a church and even how, 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 how often as a church at Christ Our Refuge we speak about sin. Not because we love sin, but because we can't understand how good the gospel of Jesus is 
until we've understood how bad the reality of our sin and the just judgment that we deserve from a holy God. Now, this leader actually said he hadn't thought of it like that before, and he'd reconsider his own ministry emphasis. Church, I wonder whether sometimes our lack of urgency to be part of God's mission in Brisbane is because we don't have a real sense of the judgment of God. Listen carefully. Heaven and hell is real. And every single person in this room, every single person in this suburb, every single person in this city, country and world deserves judgment from God because of our sin and our rebellion. We all deserve hell. The cross of Christ and the grace of God shown in the cross of Christ will not make sense without an understanding of the coming day of the Lord, the day when God will judge, as we say in the creeds, the living and the dead. And Isaiah reminds us that it's not just those out there the wicked people in the nation that deserve judgment. He knows that he also deserves it. He knows that he has unclean lips. Woe is me. Having seen the king, he knows the terror of judgment from him. And so as we think about our mission in Brisbane, knowing that we, like the rest of this city, deserve hell, will actually spare us from pride, from judgmentalism, from arrogance. We're, we're one beggar trying to show other beggars where they can find food. You know, perhaps one of the key ways for you personally to respond to God's word today is like Isaiah, to confess your sin to God, to own, just be honest with yourself, with the people around you and with the holy God that you, you're not holy and that you deserve to be judged for your rebellion. Question, what will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch? Number one, a fresh sense of God's holiness. Number two, a fresh sense of God's judgment. And number three, a fresh sense of God's grace. We deserve judgment. But as, we, as we've already seen in Isaiah and as we see all the way throughout the Bible, whenever God comes in judgment, He also comes in salvation. Not because He has to, but because he's kind, gracious, and he chooses to. We need a fresh sense of God's grace. Pick it up with me in verse 6, Isaiah 6, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken from the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. This is a, a remarkable paragraph. Isaiah's lips were unclean, but now they have been cleansed. Nothing that Isaiah has done has made himself clean. This is all grace. This is all God's kindness. His guilt is removed. His sin is atoned for. Atonement literally means at one month. We once weren't at one with God, but atonement is we can be restored to being one with God, at one with God. Isaiah cannot by himself be at one with God because of his sin. But through this atoning work, he can now be one with God. Isn't that incredible? 
and we, we, we see in verse 6 and 7 how his guilt is taken away and how his sin is atoned for. But how is our guilt taken away? And how is our sin atoned for? There's a beautiful moment in John chapter 1. When John the Baptist, he sees Jesus coming toward him. John chapter 1 verse 29. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a remarkable statement. At the beginning of the gospel, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How is our guilt taken away? Jesus. How is our sin atoned for? Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God. Jesus is the Lamb without blemish. The sinless one who pays the penalty for our sin at the cross, who dies our death, who removes our guilt, who takes our sin away. But more than that, Jesus rose from the dead. He has defeated sin. He has defeated Satan. He has defeated death. He rose again and he lives to intercede for us. It is all grace. It is all of God. It is all a gracious and kind and loving gift that our guilt can be taken away and our sin can be atoned for through Jesus. Quick show of hands if there's anyone here. This might show your age or you just might be into retro music if you're into U2. The, uh, yeah, a few people, few people. If you haven't heard of U2, you can look them up. They're available online. Uh, I'm a big fan of U2. I've loved uh, their music since being a kid. Uh, grew up as the youngest of four, so grew up listening to the music of my older, pe- uh, my older siblings. Uh, but as well as loving the music of U2, uh, Bono, the lead singer, uh, I've been fascinated in recent years just to learn more and more about some of his insights into religion. Uh, and one of those areas is, I think, the area of grace. Uh, let me give you a quote from a long extended interview um, where Bono uh, shares uh, his answers regarding how religions work and how Christianity is unique. He says this, You see, at the centre of all religions is the idea of karma. You know, what you put out comes back to you. An eye for an eye, uh, a tooth for a tooth, or in physics, in physical laws, every action is met by an equal or opposite one. It's clear to me that karma is at the very heart of the universe. I'm absolutely sure of it. And yet, he says, along comes this idea called grace to upend all that as as you reap, so you will sow stuff. Grace defies reason and logic. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed, because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. That's between me and God, though. But I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. Uh, I'd be in deep trouble. It doesn't excuse my mistakes, but I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope I don't have to depend on my own religiosity. He gets grace. gets the salvation, atonement, right, being right with God is, is not based on what you do. If the world worked like that, that would be bad news for you. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christ Jesus is that God is gracious. You know, even that quote from Bono resonates significantly with my own story. I grew up a religious kid. 
uh, Christian family. I'm so thankful for the family that I grew up in. But I, I think I kind of picked up along the way a, a self-righteousness, a dependence upon my own religiosity. And I was actually at the age of 17 when I, when I came to understand grace. I don't think I necessarily became a Christian in that moment. I think I was already a Christian. But I think I was trusting too much in myself. And this was just this key turning point, understanding that Christianity is not about do, 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 do. Not about what you do, but Christianity is about done. D-O-N-E. It's what Jesus has done. Not do, do, do. Religions are about do and striving and being better. Christianity is recognizing that Jesus has done it all. You know, if our default, if, if you're anything like me, if you've got a religious background, it's easy to kind of move back into thinking that we're right with God because we're better than the people around us, because we're not as bad as the world around us. And, and, and if, if your default thinking is that you're saved by what you do, it, it, might, it might be that there's some despair that you have because you think you've blown it. Or pride because you think that you can make it on your own. And yet the, the call this evening is to see the grace of God. Behold the Lamb of God. In Christ Jesus, you can turn from despair. See, see that no matter who you are, what you've done, His grace is able to cover your sin. But likewise, it causes us to turn from pride. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. We both need His grace to take away our guilt. His grace to atone for our sin. What will help us as a church as we get ready to launch? Number one, a fresh sense of God's holiness. Number two, God's judgment. Number three, God's grace. And fourth and finally is God's mission. Number four, a fresh sense of God's mission. You see, now that Isaiah's sin has been atoned for, he's reconciled to God. Uh, and the immediate result, have a look at it in verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am. Send me. He hasn't even heard what the mission is. But regardless of the cost, he's like, I am ready, Lord. Now, very briefly, we don't have time to unpack it all, but notice the content and the effect of, uh, of his message. Look at verse 9. Uh, and he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then, I, then Isaiah said, How long, O Lord? And the Lord said, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of this land and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is filled. The holy seed is its stump. That's a fairly confronting mission that Isaiah's just signed up for. Judgment, judgment, judgment. Hard hearts, deaf ears, blind eyes. He knows that it will be a hard mission field. And yet, as we'd see, if we kept reading through Isaiah as well as judgment, Isaiah again and again will point to salvation, 
to the Saviour, to the Holy Seed, its stump, to the Lamb of God, Jesus. Salvation is on offer through this King, through this Messiah. What will motivate us as a church as we get ready to launch? Well, a fresh sense of God's mission. But where do we get that from? Well, a fresh sense of God's grace. And where do we get that from? A fresh sense of God's judgment. And where do we get that from? A fresh sense of God's holiness. It all begins with God. We don't just say go beyond mission, but we must continue to preach grace and judgment and holiness to motivate us as a church. Now, you might be thinking, hey, I kind of knew the trajectory of this series. And even before I prayed at the start, I kind of gave an overview of of we are gospel people and, and week four is gospel coherence. And you might be thinking, he hasn't really talked about gospel coherence. Let's put up the slide uh, from our vision document, our roadmap. Uh, I'm not going to read everything necessarily on there. Um, but here's kind of what we're shooting for when it comes to gospel coherence. Um, uh, paragraph one, the gospel is the language that we speak. We're fluent in the language of our city and fluent in the language of the gospel. We apply the gospel to one another in the church and we proclaim the gospel to those who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, a quote from Jeff Vanderselt. He says, it is of the... Out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks, we talk about what we love or what we see most of, most at work in our lives. Where our treasure is, our heart is, we need to pay attention to what we treasure and meditate on. You know, it's interesting, we, we, we do speak about what we love, don't we? Uh, I think, I'm, I'm of the conviction, I could give a whole talk on this, that we preach Gospels all the time. We preach the things that are important to us, the things that are captivating to us. I've preached the Gospel of the Matildas a lot. A lot of Australians have been preaching the Gospel of the Matildas uh, increasingly, uh, breaking records left, right and centre. The Gospel of the Matildas, it's compelling and you want to share it. Hey, I went to the game, I can't help but talk about it. We are people who speak about the, the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so what I want you to notice is what we've talked about today as we've spoken about Gospel coherence is I haven't spoken about a technique. We'll do further training on techniques. Uh, At the end of last year, I actually helped to produce some training content with City to City Australia for churches to train people in evangelism with some specific techniques. I think we could use some of that content uh, and we could roll that out. And in time, we we, want to keep equipping one another to be well prepared to speak the gospel. But first and foremost, just go back to that slide for us, Sam. Just at the bottom there, it says, uh, first and foremost, to be gospel coherent with others requires us to keep the gospel on repeat in our own hearts and lives our proclamation of christ is an overflow of knowing christ you see what we've done for the last half hour is not talk about a technique of how to eloquently share the gospel but just like week one we want to keep the gospel at the center and the more we keep the gospel at the center of all that we do the more that we see it The more that we see all the things that we've just pointed out, the holiness, the judgment, the grace, and the mission, as we've seen in Isaiah, the more we see these themes in Scripture, I hope and trust every week we will be getting equipped to be more gospel coherent. And as we get to know the gospel better, we pray God give us boldness, God give us confidence, and we'll grow in our explaining of it. And there is a place for techniques and, and thinking through how to best articulate it. But the heart is what matters. And so our mission 
And our vision as a church and our coherence in explaining the gospel is motivated by the mission of God, by the grace of God, by the judgment of God, by the holiness of God. Look, if you're here today and you're not yet part of this church or maybe you're not even yet a follower of Jesus, let me urge you just to see the grace of God. To, to, to be saved from judgment from a holy, righteous God by trusting in Christ. But for the majority of us who are here, who are already followers of Jesus, Jesus, the King, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, who has completed that work of salvation at the cross, continues to commission His people and sends us out on His mission. I love this quote from missionary David Livingston. He said, if a commission by an earthly king is considered an honour, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? It's an honour to be commissioned by an earthly king. Oh my goodness, the, the Lord of heaven and earth is sending out his people on his mission to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel, to make it known. And so friends, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray a commissioning prayer of sorts for us with Matthew 28 in mind. The Great Commission from King Jesus. And so let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you so much for Jesus. And we thank you that as he says at the end of Matthew 28, that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. We thank you that he is, he is the one who is all-powerful. And we hear the command he gave to those first disciples. And we heed this command, having been taught it as well, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that, that you have commanded us. And behold, you are with us always to the end of the age. Father, fill us by your Spirit. Help us to see the mission of our King. And thank you so much for your grace shown to us in Him. Lord, would you send us out from this place tonight? And would you continue to prepare us as a church, getting ready to launch, to be on mission in this city? Father, our prayer is that you would do what only you can do. Breathing new life where there is death. Shining light where there is darkness. But Lord, use us. Send us. Empower us by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would call many people back to yourself. We pray that many in this city, in the coming weeks, months and years, would find refuge, security and hope in Jesus. Father, thank you so much that in Jesus our sin is atoned for, our guilt is taken away. Thank you that the cross of Christ worked. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead. And Lord, we thank you so much that right now you are with us by your Spirit. We long for Christ to return, but while we wait, may we give ourselves to his mission in this world, growing us a coherence in explaining this wonderful message of what Christ has done. We pray this for our joy. We pray this for the joy of our city, and we pray this for the glory of your holy name. Amen.